Hello, and welcome to Rocket Accelerated Geek Conversation. I am Simone de Rochefort, and I'm joined tonight by Christina Warren, Senior Tech Correspondent at Mashable.com, and Brianna Wu, Head of Development at Giant Space Cat. <laughs> you know my favorite part was before the show started today, Simone? You weren't doing anything illegal. You weren't participating in anything. It was great. I loved abiding by the law in the hours before this show was recording. Yeah, no, you weren't doing anything illegal, and I wasn't helping you do anything. I mean, there was no aiding or abetting, and we were completely within the bounds of the law. I mean, obviously, we respect copyright. Mm. And um, <laughs> yeah, and, and the terms and service conditions of my cable provider, um, and, and absolutely everybody who's listed as an account as as a as an account on my on my cable provider lives in my house. Yes, um, and is le- legally your child. Right. Well, here's the thing, though, about that. About uh, you know, if cable companies don't want you to share your or create cable IDs for people who don't live with you, why do they let you make fifteen? <laughs> I mean, seriously, let, Listen, let, let's be real here. Some people have a lot of kids. Those kids grow up. They move out of the house. Maybe they want to have cable. Maybe their parents are really generous. Christina? <laughs> Christina I mean, Mom? Maybe. I mean, maybe. Or maybe the fact is that like, they literally are going to allow 15 people to have different user accounts on your single cable. Like, come on. Maybe they and realize you're me, that you're paying an extortionate <laughs> price. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. Which is why I don't feel guilty. Thank you for for not doing anything is the answer. Well, and, well, no, and honestly, for not doing anything. But honestly, look, this helps the advertising. This helps the, the TV industry because you will now be exposed to more commercials when That's you're true. not illegally downloading content, but instead watching it through a um, legally provided cable login from someone whose name is not Christina, um, my mother. Yes. I'm yeah, gonna watch exactly. the crap out of those commercials. I'm gonna love every you second are. of them. <laughs> You're gonna love every single one of them. I'm gonna eat them up like spoons of ice cream. It's like the guy who was like the spoons. president of Fox at the time said, "If you if you skip through the commercials, it's like you're stealing television." <laughs> that was an actual thing that a television executive said once. <laughs> That's an actual that thing a television so executive happy. said once. Oh my god! I know, I know. I know, I know. And uh, in, in fairness to him, he did not remain the president of that network for much longer. He was then shoveled around in a number of other places. But that was an actual thing that someone said, like, and this was before TiVo even really took off. He was like, if you skip the, t- to the commercials, it's like you're stealing television. And the, 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 the response of the world was your response, Simone. And this was like 15 years ago. And everybody was like, oh, my gosh, Are you serious. It was that yeah. long. Oh, my gosh. It oh was my that gosh. long ago. Ugh. Ugh. Everyone knows all the money in television comes from the Apple computers that everyone use, or possibly the Asus computers, Jessica or the Jones. Surface Pros, or, or or the Surface Pros. Oh yeah, or the Microsoft Windows phones. Oh yeah, those are a good one. What did they in Teen Wolf? There was something really I I can't remember what it was. I think it was their phones. I think they might have used a specific phone that was just like it, it was so blatant. It was beautiful. I laughed every time somebody texted, which was a lot because Teen Wolf. Um, Shall we start the show? We should. Can, we should can start we release the, show. the volcano building inside me that wants to talk about virtual reality? Because I, I spent literally, oh my God. So we got the HTC Vive set up in my office on Friday, finally. And I spent the weekend in the office playing with it. I spent Monday night playing with it. Uh, it came out on Tuesday, so it is finally in consumers' hands. The reviews are all over the internet. Um, 
I really like the HTC Vive. It is different from the Oculus Rift because it uses two lighthouses that basically serve as beacons that let, that follow you so that they it knows your place in the room and um, you can move around your room. And that's why they call it Room Scale VR. Um, it is really, really fantastic just from from my personal perspective as a person who had played with the Oculus Rift before um, when it was the DK2 and then when it finally came out as the consumer edition, I played with the Oculus Rift. I've, oh, I really enjoyed the Oculus Rift. Um, it impressed me a lot more than I thought it would, as I said before. But there was there's still been, I guess I'm not as thrilled by it just because it does have you sitting and using a controller um, or standing and feeling really funky and nauseous like I did with, or not nauseous, but disoriented like I did with Lucky's Tale. Anyway, the HTC Vive uh, is the first VR system I've used where you can actually move around. And it was, it's literally so freaking magical. And you guys have, have you, I know Brianna's tried it, but Christina, have you tried the Vive? I tried, I tried, not, I haven't tried the production one. I tried like one of the beta ones and I like the experience, but um, I'll be, we'll be, dedicating a space in our office to this stuff and so adam will be bringing it back from his house he reviewed it for us and uh putting it in the office so i'll be able to play with it like sometime next week i'm guessing so i mean simone the thing i want to know is like which one do you endorse buying the oculus or the or the vibe like which one which are you which which i mean the controller it sounds from you know polygon's review makes the the vive a stronger contender but it sounds like once Oculus does release their touch controller, that that's going to obviate the biggest advantage that it had. Is that a fair summation? I think that's a, yeah, that's a really good point. And I am definitely excited for the touch controllers to see what that adds. However, I personally really like the Vive, even though it's more expensive, just because you have access to the whole Steam library. And it's freaking massive. And it is coming with all this stuff. Like, it's all bundled in. It's all part of it. And it feels very cohesive. And I was actually really... I I was not so excited about the big picture mode, the theater mode, where you can play non-VR games, like, in VR as if it's on a theater screen. I was not as excited for that until I freaking tried it. Um, And it is surprisingly really cool. It captures terribly, terrible to film. But <laughs> it, it's just, it, it feels incredible. And it is comparable to the Oculus Rift in terms of like feeling immersed in the environment. However, the difference like right now with the Vive is that I, I had this experience actually on uh, Monday night. So Monday night, uh, the day before the Vive came out, I had a lot of work to do. So I went into the office. Uh, I had gone home. I went back into the office around midnight and I stayed there till six in the morning and it was horrible. But part of that time, <laughs> it was actually wonderful. Part of that time was spent playing a game called Vanishing Realms, which is, it sounds like this very typical dungeon crawler. Um, so I was kind of like, okay, Vanishing Realms, uh, there's a king of the undead and we're, I'm going to go into the sacred temple and fight the king of the undead. It's whatever. And then it drops you into this this chamber in the temple and it just feel like the minute I was in there, you, the room completely melts away. It's incredible. And like the urge to walk and to just move is so palpable. And since you can actually do that, at least slightly, um, I was in a pretty small space, but you can you can walk. And that just makes like immediately the difference is 
unbelievable. And so this brings me to actually the um, movement system with a lot of Vive games is to teleport, which basically on the the touch controllers that you have, there is a circular touchpad, uh, which rests right under your thumb. And in most games, you will drag your thumb over it or, or press it and drag. And this little icon will pop up and you can kind of move it where you will want to teleport to. And then you'll let it go and you'll pop over there, which is a lot less disorienting, actually, than I assumed it would be and a lot less disorienting than it sounds. Um, I actually really, I found I find it way less um, nauseating than the comfort turning that is in a lot of games that you play with just a regular game pad, like, you know, where you, you snap like 90, not 90 degrees, um, however many, you, like no, you, you, you snap mean. in a turn. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Explaining yeah. it for the people who don't know what comfort turning is. But yeah, you basically like press a button and you'll snap to a different, oh, facing a different way. And it is awful. I hate it. It's so jarring. But teleporting, I think because you're looking where you're going to go um, and then you end up there and you're facing the same way that you were facing before, it's so much less jarring. Um, there are some games that do it slightly differently and that's really i find really cool um the gallery episode one call of the star seed which is a terrible freaking game name we need to have a whole episode where i shame people who name their games terrible things good games with bad names is what it will be called (laughs) so this is like an explorational puzzle game and the way that they do the teleportation is by having you you press down on the touchpad and then you look with your head and it will track your head movements and so you can basically just look where you want to go and then you can drag your thumb on the touchpad to choose the direction that you want to be facing. So it makes it a lot faster to move around because you're not turning physically in the real world and then getting tangled up in cables, which does sometimes happen. Not as much as I assumed it would, but it's still a thing that happens. Um, so there are a lot of cool ways that people are working with uh, the movement with the Vive. And I, f- I think it, it, it lends something – it translates so much into game design just because it's – Games have to be designed in a way so that you, they want you to be able to move around. Like this is room scale VR. It wouldn't be impressive if you couldn't move around physically in the real world and do stuff. So that kind of lends itself to designing games in a way where you can teleport to a space and do things in that space and then move to the next space. If if you teleport to the next space that might be a little further away where you can interact with stuff. It's really interesting. And I, I don't know. I'm just so excited to see what is going to continue coming out for the medium because I have enjoyed so much of what I have done so far. Or so what can I, I ask so you yeah. some questions Please about do. it? Like Christina, you just threw a video into like our Skype chat. That's yes. amazing. Yeah. Of, I, mean, I, I was going to bring this yeah. up because this, this, yeah. I thought this was fantastic. Just showing off the power of the motion tracking. Um, yeah. uh, Shin Ye, who does VR at HDC posted a GIF of them throwing somebody a Vive controller and him catching it while he's got the Vive on. And it, it's awesome. It's amazing. Yeah. I, yeah I'm, well, I'm that's putting one of that the in the show notes. The problems of VR is you like lose your, your sense of everything around you. Like even on the Samsung uh, Gear VR, like the, the fact that we'll use your phone just to let you see a little bit of what's in front of you. <laughs> right. That's really a key feature because you get very disoriented. But what I was going to say, Simone, is so you're saying it does work with a certain number of, of Steam games already. Um, I thought it was very interesting your reviews were kind of mediocre on polygon for things but like is there a design language that's coming to the top yet like you're talking about teleporting do they have special effects with that or do you just pop over there like how does that like what does it feel like doing this that's sort of something that i think is actually missing because there's this there's still this layer of 
I don't know if meta is the right word, but you know, in a traditional fantasy game, you would not be, I mean, okay, fast traveling exists, but like teleporting is not a natural thing that people do in the world. I get Call of the Star is a better example. This is in that first episode, still very much an ostensibly normal world. And there's no like explanation for why you are teleporting other than I am playing a game and using the HTC Vive touch controllers to move around the world. And that's still something where there's not a good piece of language, fictional language to wrap it up in within games. Um, It's simply, it exists for convenience because we don't have, most people do not have huge spaces where they can freely move around. And if you want to make a game that is more than just um, something that Job Simulator does, which is like put you in a small, I don't know, like five by five space, like you're you're behind the counter of a diner or something. Therefore, you're staying in that small space. You can move around. You don't need to teleport in that game. Um, obviously, not every game can be like that. Um, there's And that would eventually get really boring. So I, lo- I love it as a solution to this problem and the fact that it works so well is great. Um, I do think that there is like, it has to develop in so that we can, um, I guess, maintain the fiction of a game world and the consistency of a fictional world. Yeah. You don't want to break the UI metaphor. You want it to feel smooth. I mean, you know, this is something Apple has done a lot. Like if you look at the, the blur, um, kind of motif that came out in the layers with iOS 7, you know, they're very consistent about keeping these across different devices. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I was um, I was talking to an engineer at a, a very big VR company a few weeks ago, and, you know, she was telling me all about the, the struggle to kind of come up with language for all of these things. Like pinch to zoom was something mm-hmm. you got right off the bat, but like fantastic contraption and like, you know, putting on the hat, to see a menu or, mm-hmm. you know, just figure out how we're going to do those different things. I think, um, I, I think it's something you can't really set from the top down with this. Like, I don't think you can have, you know, a Vive put out, you know, HIG likes, um, I'm sorry, human interface guidelines like, um, you know, Apple used to do. I mm-hmm. think it's something where you're going to have to let the community just keep playing around with it. You know, like the rubber banding for um, Twitter, where you'll pull it down and it will like refresh everything on there. Mm-hmm. That's yeah, something Twitter came up with. You know, and it was actually they, something a third actually is something a third well, party developer came up with, right, and then, right, right, and then it became the official Twitter app. But yeah, right. yeah, um, but that's something that you know Apple had never foreseen as a use for a touchscreen, and now it's right. just built into. And now like, Apple actually yeah. licenses that for mail. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. No, no, exactly. I mean, wait, don't, yeah. did he not open source that? Am I remembering well, well, no, that incorrectly? They what they did is they made the patent so anybody could do it, but but, but Twitter right. actually, so Lauren created it. Right. Twitter patented it when they bought Tweety, and then right. part of the but part of the thing of the patent is that as long as you do attribution, anybody could use it. Huh? Oh, that's okay. Cool. There were open source implementations beforehand, but not of the exact way. But that method was actually a patented thing, and I think that was probably just as a, a defensive measure, just in case somebody else tried to patent first, yeah, and then charge for it. I mean, I honestly think that's why they did it. But yeah, anyway, that, that's a, that's a that's a side tangent. Well, sure, sure, sure. But I mean, that is the kind of stuff we're trying to figure out in VR yes. right now. Mm-hmm. So. No, yeah. totally. Yeah, the visual language, ask, yeah. How what, did you use the tilt brush and how was that experience? I haven't done tilt brush yet. I because re- the reason I was because I would think that that how they implement that would maybe give some ideas of what the, that language could be. I mean, again, I, I'm with you, Bree. I don't think you can necessarily set it from the top down. I think some of that stuff can be set, but I feel like this is things that the developers themselves will need to do. But I'd be very interested in seeing 
how they implemented something like mm-hmm. Tiltbrush. And if those, if there are UI and UX paradigms within that, they could be, um, you know, maybe translated to other things too. Yeah, I hope to have time to mess around with that. It definitely is. I mean, since the controllers have so few buttons, it is limiting, I think. But the gestural possibilities are limitless. So there's just so it's such a, a strong start, I think, for this nascent little industry. And like, it's incredible to me that, you know, a few years ago, even a few months ago, you know, we were messing around with um, developer kit versions of the Oculus and stuff. And very few people had gotten their hands on the Vive yet. Um, PlayStation VR was still called Mor- Project Morpheus. And now it's just out in the world and the experiences that are being delivered by both Oculus and Vive are so solid. And again, I, I do stand by what I said last week where like for me, investing in a gaming PC is probably not worth it just because I don't play a lot of PC games. I prefer playing um, on, on a console. Um, but I think that there's just so much potential there for these these um this hardware and it's so exciting to me that it it is so awesome just as it is like in its little seed seedling state let, let me ask you a question about about kind of de- people who are looking at maybe developing for both of these things because that's going to be one of the, the the things that makes or breaks these platforms right is yep. is obviously the, the software and and I think that and, and correct me if I'm wrong on this brief but I have a feeling that most developers are probably going to be trying to target both that they can so if they're building in in in, in Unity or, or or in um you know um something else they're they're going to try to kind of export to, to no to you're both. dead on uh, you're okay. dead on yeah so but my question then is is that given this whole full room view thing of the vibe doesn't that mean that it would be easier to maybe create for you know oculus and then port to the vive because that can have that experience where where you don't have to have that full 3d view you can kind of be you know more stayed if you need to be but the reverse you know making something like job simulator for the oculus might be more difficult what do you think brie as a developer (laughs) (laughs) i think you i think you hit the head on the nail on the head and this is something i was thinking all week and you know this is this is like i really want to stress here simone like you guys at polygon did a wonderful review of this i thought it was in depth and ben kachar knocked out of the park on this but i think with all respect i would suggest that you, you know Ben is ultimately a consumer and a journalist versus, you know, someone that's going to be taking the framework and like working with these development tools. Mm-hmm. Like it's a very, very, very different question. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm very excited that they were able to come out with, you know, a bunch of awesome software to launch with. Uh, you know, I want to hear more about fantastic contraption, but um, from what I've heard, I think you're completely right that you can go one way and not the other. But I think the thing for HTC to prove isn't that they can come out with five awesome experiences at launch. It's can they get real buy-in from the developer ecosystem mm-hmm. and new games going forward? Because you're you're dead on, Christina. That is the problem. That the it, it, this is also going to affect uh, you know Hololens right like so if you're trying to get all of these at once you know it kind of behooves you to kind of optimize for Oculus I think I would say I would actually yeah I would agree with that I definitely as a player prefer just being able to move for me it changed the experience completely it made me like way less sick just right off the bat except with fantastic contraption which is weird i maybe i was tired maybe something was wrong but i i got like really woo when i was playing that game but yeah 
Can you tell me more about that? I can tell you more after I tell you that this episode of Rocket <laughs> is brought to you by Braintree, code for easy mobile payments. Maybe you're working on the next Uber, Airbnb, or GitHub. Then why not use the same simple payment solution that helped them become what they are today? Braintree makes mobile payments so fast, easy, and seamless, it is almost magical. Add it to your app with just a few lines of code and you're instantly ready to accept Apple Pay, Android Pay, PayPal, Venmo, Venmo car, credit cards, even Bitcoin. And if some other way to pay comes along, Braintree will support that too. Braintree's fast payouts and continuous support means you'll always be ready whether you're earning your first dollar or your billionth. See fewer abandoned carts and more sales with Braintree's best-in-class mobile checkout experience. To check it out yourself, visit braintreepayments.com slash rocket. Once again, that is braintreepayments.com slash rocket. Thank you so much, Braintree, for your support of Rocket and Relay FM. And for this sick new ad read. I love it. <laughs> Woohoo! <laughs> so for the tongue so, twister I in mean, the middle. Like one of my favorite games on iOS was Fantastic Contraption. Like I remember when the iPad 1 came out and the iPad 2, like I would just sit. Yeah, like Frank and I would go out to dinner on a date night and we would just like spend two hours in a restaurant playing that game because it's so awesome. So I am extremely interested to know how this plays. Uh, by moving around it and looking at it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm aware of it, but I mean, is it fun? It was fun. I, I do honestly think that I may, like I played it pretty late at night. Um, so that probably had something to do with it. But it it, it was, I think the bright colors... And the concentrating really hard on the shapes and try, like I was, I was doing that first level where you try to build a car like out of sticks. I'm actually not sure if it's the same um, the HTC Five version versus the iOS version. Um, but there was something just about having to concentrate on this very mechanical task that made me. Um, <laughs> is how I could describe the feeling that I felt. I don't think that that I I. I haven't heard of anyone else feeling that way with that. I don't think it's a universal experience. And I did plenty of other puzzle games that did not make me feel that way. Um, but it was definitely very garish. Uh, on the other hand, I played a game called Blarp, which is the definition of disorienting and garish. And that was fine. Um, which you should totally check out. It's only like, it's two sixty nine on Steam right now. This is the most surreal experience you'll have on the HTC Vive. And I'm putting well, out a video of it about, tomorrow. Go on. Well, let's talk about that a second. You said 269. That kind of bob. I mean, that kind of scares me a little bit. If I'm honest, that we're already looking at prices that low on yep. on VR games yep. because this race to the bottom. I mean, we saw what it did to iOS, and and, yep. and when iOS first launched, like when the apps were launched in 2008, uh, Super Monkey Ball uh, was 999, and Twitter Wifric was 999, and there were lots of free apps. It was the first time you could do that, and then they had ads. Uh, there weren't really ad supported things then, but they were coming. Um, but but you know that was what the pricing point started. But that was in like July first, two thousand eight. By like September October, it was already getting down to the to, to the three dollar point, and and within a year, it was at the ninety nine cent or free point. Right? I'm these things cost a lot of money, just like iOS did. But these things it costs uh, the investment is 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 even higher here. Are you guys at all worried if we're already seeing two dollars, two dollars, well, two sixty nine games? I would not use Blarp as a metric by which to measure that. I just looked up some of the other games I played. Um, the Gallery is forty dollars. Uh, Fantastic Contraption is thirty dollars. Uh, Vanishing okay. Realms twenty dollars. 
Blarp is a very simple game. It's a physics-based game where you're basically swinging the controller around. It uses very, very few assets. Um, it's very good. I definitely recommend it just as a, a experience of how you can use physics in VR. Very cool. But it is also not something that is very complex, at least speaking from, a again, the consumer perspective. I did not make this game. I don't know how... Um, how that yeah, works. that's that's what i would say simone is even if you're a single developer you know buying a dev kit and doing this stuff like yeah, in totally. your spare time and don't have to pay your rent because you have a day job it's hard to imagine with the install base that getting two dollars and steam taking their cut and your bank taking their fees from right. the transaction yeah, it's hard to imagine even with zero development costs exactly it being it, worth it, anyone's it's time it's being worth it so, and, and yeah. i guess what what concerns yeah. me i'm glad to see the other games are cost cost more but what concerns me is the fact that anybody is even doing that the fact yep. that the blarp is doing that the fact that because they are taking this app store mentality that this mobile you know game mentality and pricing vr that way and i don't think that's good for the ecosystem i don't think that's good for us creating content mm-hmm. i think that we have to kind of you know developers have to hold their ground and and consumers have to understand if you're spending eight hundred dollars on a device and a thousand dollars on a pc it's it's accepted and acceptable frankly to spend forty dollars on a game mm-hmm. um but i do worry even having somebody just putting that in an ecosystem because I feel like that'll drive down the price, which in turn I think will probably drive down, drive away developers. That's a concern I have about the entire game industry though. I know I've talked about this before, like the fact that you can buy a $60 game exactly a year later and it costs $20. If that, like that to me is like the, the, the fight over price game pricing is an endemic problem in the entire game industry, not just VR. And I don't think consumers value games very highly. Um, if you know the the wars over whether a game is worth you know whether firewatch is worth twenty dollars the fact that that exists is a a problem and i i definitely don't think it's restricted to vr yeah but this is a chance to kind of reset the rules yeah right yeah yeah i guess i mean someone this is this is what i really want to know like so i i've talked about this many times on isometric and less on rocket but i I genuinely believe that the game industry is stuck. Um, you know, I think if you look at the PS4 and the Xbox One, I think you're seeing less innovation than we've ever seen before in the game industry. So when VR is coming along and it is introducing new rules and a new marketplace and a new interface paradigm, this gets me really excited. And I, I guess one question for you is this, since you've played a lot of both Oculus and HTC at this point, like what how can I put this? Like my friends are developers. We personally believe and are investing a lot of money believing that story-based games are going to be something that are very successful on this platform. Do you believe that that's something that people would pay content for? Like, can you see that being very successful with this kind of technology? Like what, what do you think it's good for having used it a lot? I do think that that's possible. And I'm thinking of, I, it it's a big question. I definitely think it's possible. Um, at the moment, what strikes me most of all when I'm using the Vive, um, and I'll speak more to the Vive since that's what I've used more at this point, um, since I came into the Oculus review thing a little bit late as far as um, having access to it. So with the Vive, because it is so, so new that we have the ability to interact with objects by you know moving around and picking them up 
the experiences that I've had with that are very much they they kind of emphasize that like the gallery uh which is actually it uh, it is a story based puzzle game um and I definitely do th- it does the story very well it um it's kind of a mystery you're looking for your sister and kind of solving these puzzles with this this con- there's this conspiracy um really interesting game but so much of the gameplay like in that first part is you moving around this environment and it is thrilling to just do that and to just pick up objects like pick up a tin of popcorn or a thing of popcorn and put it in the campfire to pick up a rock on the beach and look at the rock to pick up a volleyball and see how far you can throw it like just these little things and you can do that in a 2d game you can do it on um you know with a gamepad on a computer or a console but it's not the same as doing it in vr like it feels so amazing and that's definitely something that like i feel like that edge of wonder this like childlike in or amazement at it will probably wear off at some point but at the moment like and actually it does have a good mechanical benefit like the fact that you're doing that in this game because it's teaching you how you can interact with the world which then you know applies to the environmental puzzles that you're solving it it's a learning process it makes sense um but it is definitely true that the mechanical aspect of vr games is more emphasized now at this moment in time than any kind of narrative aspect. There are exceptions to that. But um, yeah, I, I, I do think, especially since we're still learning the language of the mechanics, like we had this conversation about the teleporting, like that's still something that people are figuring out how to implement into their games. I didn't even know it was a thing before I got my hands on the Vive. Um, so yeah, I, I do. I think there's a lot of room to grow, but I do think that um, narrative experiences and emotional experiences can be a thing. But again, I mean, it's so the access to it, I think is going to be a problem just because so few people have those expensive PCs. Um, and I don't think that's a reason to turn away from the market at all. I hope it wouldn't be obviously. There's oh, I do. Oh my God. I mean, I. It is I mean a this is a very reasonable, reason no, for well, sure. Well, hold on, but, hold on. Yeah, like, on. like I want to be really clear here. The only people that can really afford to do really ambitious things on, on virtual reality platforms currently either have another way of monetization of the content they're making. So like, say, um, you know, adding a mode to a different game or have venture capital built up or some other yep. you know, investment. People there funding this themselves, it's a suicide mission. It's a Mass Effect 2 Omega <laughs> 4 relay style suicide mission to try to make money on this. But yeah, like I was I was having this conversation at OC2 this year. At a certain point, it doesn't even matter about the quality of it. It's about butts and seats that like have the ability to buy your stuff. And there's not even close, like probably the biggest marketplace right now, I would guess, would be Samsung Gear VR. Yeah, I've never right. heard of anyone making money well, on no, that. No, I know it is so, a pragmatic yeah, reason. I would yeah. never say that it's yeah. not a pragmatic reason to okay, not do okay. it. Right, it, right, it would right. be a shame, though, if okay. those experiences didn't develop in this space. Sure. Sure. But it goes to Christina's point that, like, okay, are you expecting, like, AAA game dev studios, like, with millions of dollars to make this content? Because I got to tell you, 
Like, it is not cheap to make an iPhone game, and it is exponentially more expensive to do, to do a VR it. VR game, absolutely. Especially because you've got to do user testing for nausea and mm-hmm. health issues, right? Yeah. right? No, so, totally. And and, yeah. and you've got a much smaller testing base, right? Yep. Like, you know, for even for beta in and stuff. I mean, yep. you know, immediately, at least when the App Store launched, there were millions of iPhones out there and, 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 and more of them. You know, this thing, you're kind of going, I mean, you're making a big leap, like you said, Brie. I mean, if you're if you're going in on this, you either have, the money kind of cashed in your reserves and you have other games that are making money for you. So you can dedicate the resources to that and they can kind of go on autopilot or you have venture funding. Um, otherwise, I mean, it's, it's a really big gamble. And I think that anybody who's going into this thinking that they can take advantage of this gold rush for the first like <laughs> swath of people who, who come out of this, I think are making a mistake because like, like you said, there just aren't enough people buying. Well, I don't think it, I, I wouldn't do th- call it a gold rush at all. Like it's there. No, it's very saying. much like a tentative foray and it's an incredible foray and like uh, an, an amazing experience, but it's, you know, a first like tender step onto the surface of a new planet is what it is. So you, Brianna, having, I know you're developing stuff for VR. I don't remember which one you had settled on as your. (laughs) I, 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 my, I'm betting on HoloLens. I am. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I, I want to say before we like really go forward with a lot of expensive developing, you know, I'm definitely going to get an HTC uh, in our studio and check it out. I think it's going to be a really like to a certain point, it's about the developer tools. Nobody's talking about this. One of the reasons Apple won in the mobile world. It's because their tools kicked Android's tools up and down. Like, they're just <laughs> exponentially better. So, to a certain extent, it's that and tying it into Unreal and things like that. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, my my personal bet, and I'd love to know your thought on this, Christina, but I think I expect HoloLens to win. Because I think HoloLens is going to have, um, I think it doesn't have the nausea problem. I think that, um, you know, eventually we'll get to less expensive PCs that can kind of be built into that form factor. I think it's an extension of Windows 10. So yeah. it's got a much bigger, I, I just think. Footprint. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I mean, I think that long term, I think that the winner will probably look like HoloLens. I think shorter term, if I'm going to go with anything, I'm probably first betting on Oculus just because of the name recognition they've built up. But I actually wouldn't count out PlayStation. I'm really yeah, excited. I do so excited yeah. still for PlayStation because VR, honestly, that's the one that I'm going to get. Because even though I don't think that's going to have as good of an experience, and I don't think that maybe some of the titles might be as impressive, and, and there are going to be people who say, oh, well, what I can do is so much better in, in Oculus or Vive, I feel like that's not going to matter because when you talk about 36 million console and you know installation and people who can go out and buy the, the headset – that dwarfs anything that Oculus Revive can ever expect to sell ever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think it's worth saying though, Christina, and I think there's a really fantastic argument there that, you know, the pricing is there for the PlayStation and the, you know, the, the cost of everything, the, the, the market is there for it, like the install base. I think there's a good argument for that, but I think it has to be said and this is with all respect to anyone that works at Sony that may be listening, but they have a reputation for being very, very hard to work with. Yes, they do. You know, the, yes, they the, do. You're the, right. The, the, the uh, PlayStation Vita died for a reason. <laughs> yeah, you know? I mean, and, I, yeah. I mean and, and they also have a bad reputation when it comes to these sorts of add-ons. I mean, Move, both versions were pretty terrible. So they have a lot to prove. I just think that in terms of if anything has a shot of this first generation of going more mainstream. Yeah, yeah. I feel I like this is well the said. one that will do it. I do I think, think that for ultimately me, I'm thinking the, like five years down the line. Right. And and, and so, I would agree yeah. with you. Like five years yeah. down the line, I feel like what we'll be doing will look a lot more like HoloLens. 
And I feel like at that point, Microsoft will hopefully know a lot more and will be able to say, have something that integrates with whatever the next Xbox is, you know, and has as well as PCs, you know, that that can kind of go in both worlds. So I feel Mm -hmm. like five years from now, I agree with you. I think that this augmented thing that HoloLens is doing will probably be more appealing. But I feel like for this year, the one, and it's all going to come down to what their software performance can be and, and a bunch of other things. But I feel like Sony is in the best position if they don't, do what Sony often does <laughs> yep. and, 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 are, and are, you know, make it easy to work with. And, and in fairness, you know, in, in the PS4 era, they've been a lot more, they've been a lot better. So we'll see. But, but I think that, that, that there's very valid concern to, to say, can, can they make this work? But I feel like even if they only sold a fraction of the, even if only a fraction of PS4 owners considered getting, a, you know, a, a PlayStation VR, they, their, you know, in, their user base is so much bigger than anything you, the, 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 the Vive or, or Oculus will ever, ever achieve. Um, I also feel like they'll be able to sell a bundle, which will be much more attractive for anyone who's wanting to kind of get into it by saying, I can buy this one box, which gives me the console, which will do all this other stuff, and the headset, mm-hmm. you know, rather than having to go through the process of, of having a good enough PC and setting the whole thing up and getting the, you know, I mean, I, I feel like right now as... It, the the vibe and the oculus as cool and amazing as they are is for a very specific type of customer and that and that sort of customer um is is very vocal and is is very fervent and has a lot of opinions but is also very small in in quantity they're also very very price sensitive Um, yes i think this doesn't get talked about enough like you know people will blast like you know moms that play candy crush but i'll tell you this they'll (laughs) they'll spend money a lot more more readily than a a steam gamer will and that's a fact that is so true so yep yeah i can't discourage any of that however vibe is still freaking awesome (laughs) (laughs) this episode of rocket is brought to you by squarespace the simplest way for anyone to create a beautiful beautiful landing page website or online store and you can start building one of those things or multiple of those things today at squarespace.com enter offer code rocket at checkout to get 10 percent off your first purchase which is a wonderful deal for starting your online home um, come on real estate is not cheap um squarespace has super easy to use tools and templates you can capture all the magnificent details of what your your visual image of your website will be slam them onto the internet make them live make people see what is in your mind um it is definitely the easiest way to get your website out there and they put all the power in your hands to do that and take away all the suffering of things like scaling and hosting and what to do if you get stuck while you're building the website because they have 24 7 support with live chat and email you can't say no to that so please do check out squarespace to build your website are you building up a portfolio are you building up podcast hosting website are you building your i don't know build a blog do whatever you want because squarespace gives you the power to do that you can build it from scratch you can use one of their amazing lovely templates the choice is in your hands uh they're one of the most trusted brands in the world used by millions and millions of people and millions and millions of people it is scientifically proven cannot be wrong about anything Ever. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, and you can build a store there. 
You can sell things. You can sell, I don't know, puppies. You can sell socks. You can sell any other don't consumer. Don't sell puppies on the internet. Please don't, do don't that. sell puppies. No. Squarespace does no. not don't, yeah, support don't, don't, don't internet puppies. Do don't, do, yes. don't yes. do that. There was a GoDaddy ad that was bad, and no. I did not see that ad. <laughs> you can sell pictures of puppies. On the take pictures of puppies <laughs> legally. Puppies that you own, I hope. Maybe you have a puppy. Sell some pictures of that puppy on your Squarespace site. Puppies get money. That is not Squarespace's motto, but it could be your motto if you go to squarespace.com and sign up today. <laughs> Plans start at just $8 a month. So do you can get a, a free, free trial with no credit card required. Start that. Build your beautiful website. Get emotionally attached to it, um, probably because you covered it in freaking puppy pictures. You fool. Of course. It's so cute. Uh, once you have that, when you're ready to check out, use offer code ROCKET. To get 10% off that first purchase, thank you, Squarespace, for supporting Rocket and Relay FM. When is Polygon going to start exploiting your ability to do ads this well? Somehow? I don't like, know. I, I, we should they have needed, a pop-up. Like, they we need should... to make, like... <laughs> you know flash like ads on the <laughs> site where it just simone pops up being weird i literally stuff. we could yeah. i well, a great idea would be a pop-up ad that moves around the page so that you can't close it i think that that would be a really good idea and with a lot of like me talking but also maybe some loud music yep and a, an animation probably in the background like i don't know confetti or sparkles maybe yep i think that'd be a really good idea i will talk to product about it um because that's definitely the way of the future of advertising, in my opinion. Um, so do we want to talk about the, like, slow implosion of Nest? <laughs> Christine, this is all uh, you. Yeah. This is all you. Sure. So this week, there have been a couple interesting things kind of happening with Nest. As, we were, as we've discussed before, there seem to be kind of some growing pains happening within the company. Um, there, was a, there was a great report from the information about some of the the, the uh, challenges that they were facing, um, and then Recode reported that they've lost um, a couple of, of more executives. People are are are, are leaving. Um, there was a, a scathing comment from um, someone who purports to be a Nest employee on Reddit, basically blasting the culture on the company, saying that nothing can get done and that things are bottlenecked. And then to kind of cap off, uh, or or I guess kickstart a, a bad week. Um, there was a, a scathing medium post from one of their customers. So in 2014, Nest bought a company called Revolve, R-E-V-L, R-E-V-O-L-V. And Revolve made a smart hub. And I actually remember seeing them at CES 2013, I want to say it was. Um, and what, they were one of the first kind of home automation hubs where the idea was that there are all these different um, – Radio waves that are, that are used kind of with the Internet of Things and within smart homes. There's Zigbee and there's you know, there's Wink and there were all these other you know kind of competing standards. And Revolve had one hub that would basically work with all of them, and then it had an iPhone app um, or that would let you control your devices from um, either your home when you're inside your house or remotely. So you could be you know at the office and set things off to you know uh, you know enable the alarm system or set up your cameras or you know unlock a door if someone needed to get in. Um, when Nest bought the company, they actually immediately stopped selling the product. So in 2014, they acquired the company and they, then they stopped selling the units. And by all accounts, it doesn't seem like they revolve actually had that many customers, you know, and I, and I don't think that the Nest actually spent a lot of money on them. They, they certainly didn't spend $500 million on them like they did on Dropcam. Um, but, um, you know, the services continued to work. 
Well, last month, um, Revolve owners, if you go to their website, were kind of got an email and, and were greeted by basically saying, you know, we're now working on the Nest at Home product and uh, we are going to be retiring the Revolve hub and shutting off its service. But what that means is that not only does the service where you could like remotely, you know, control what what your devices do stop working, but the hub itself is actually on May 15th going to stop working. So basically anybody who's got this thing in their house and has things connected to it, even though those devices might still operate, the hub is just going to flat out stop working. And so one of one of their customers, you know, wrote um, a really funny Medium post where he basically, you know, kind of said that like the time Tony Fidel, you know, sold me, you know, a container of hummus because at this point... <laughs> Point, his revolve, which the shape of it was kind of similar to a hummus container, is now no more um, useful than that because it's going to simply stop working. And what this did is it kind of opened up this larger conversation about a couple of things. One, I think about Nest because they are shutting off this service and shutting down this product without having anything to replace it with. There's, they've been reportedly working on a smart home hub for three years, but they don't have anything to show for it. So now they had this hub, which granted they haven't sold in 18 months and granted didn't have a big user base, but they have nothing to replace it with. And I think two, and this is what I thought was interesting, I wrote something about this for Mashable, is it kind of says, when we buy into the internet of things, one of the problems with that is that what we're buying into is very different um, than what we're used to with other products. Because it's not uncommon for companies to stop supporting a product or to shut off a service, but it's very rare. It's almost unprecedented for the product itself to flat out stop working. So for instance, the original iPad, you know, um, didn't have a lot of memory. It only had 256 megs of RAM. And so it only worked with, like it came with iPad OS, which then I think became like iOS 4.5 or whatever. And it was updated to iOS 5. But after that, it stopped getting updates. And so it hasn't been updated since like 2011. But you could still use that iPad 1. And in fact, millions of people still do. Most of the apps probably don't work. And if they make older API calls that haven't been updated, then they won't work. But the web browser will still load pages, albeit maybe not up to the proper standards. You can <laughs> still send email. If you have games that were coded and, and don't have like other API things going on, they're still going to work. Painting apps will work, that sort of thing. Um, you can still view your photos. It hasn't stopped working, even though Apple hasn't supported it in five years. Um, the same is true for, for for most things. I mean, you know, when when I have you know Blu-ray player that I bought like six years ago, and the the Amazon app on it no longer plays Amazon Instant <laughs> videos, and I think the Netflix thing is kind of broken, and but it still plays Blu-rays, and some of the stuff still works. What's unique about this to me is that the device itself is going to flat out stop working. And it's interesting because on the one hand, you sort of understand there's this cloud component to the service. And I could kind of understand, okay, the cloud component of the service will no longer work. But it's interesting that the whole service will just shut down where even locally they wouldn't have a mode where it could work without pinging their servers. So even inside your own, so I, you know, you would think that if this, something was designed this way, you could have it so that even if it can't ping the outside server, if you're on your home local network, you can still control those devices. Mm -hmm. But no, I mean, the whole thing is just going to shut down. And I think that it's interesting to talk about how this works because if a company like Nest is going to do this, where again, in fairness, this is not a large user-based product. So there isn't there, the fact that it took over a month for anybody to even notice that this was happening before they were outraged shows that this is a very small group of people. But I think it's indicative of, of two bigger problems, one with a Nest, but the other one, which is what happens when we buy into these connected devices because the value proposition there is very different. And we've got to start now trusting companies to either open things, either keep things open and running, or understand there's a very good possibility that this could fail 
and mm-hmm. that all my stuff that I bought is no longer going to work. So, I mean, I have a few thoughts about that, Christina, that one of the, the differences in the drop cam and, you know, which is very, very similar to the nest cam is actually the internal yes. protocols that they use. Like there are certain, I mean, I, I haven't picked apart the framework myself to look at it, but it, it, it seems clear to me that Nest is building, you know, kind of an internal language for their devices to yes. talk to each other. You know, uh, hopefully you would guess eventually for a home automation hub. So, I mean, if they're yes. canceling that, it, it to me, especially with the small user base, I it seems to me that there's a logical argument that they're kind of betting on where the, 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 the company is going in the future. Um, so I don't know. I, I, yeah, I, I mean, I yeah. guess so. I guess it's just weird that they don't already have anything to replace it with, that they're canceling this without having anything to replace it with. And, right. and I think it's, it's, and, and look, I, and I even said this in my piece, I understand that I think that you could make a, a very clear argument that it just isn't worth the engineering challenge of maintaining this and that there just aren't enough users that are affected for them to care. I mean, I think ultimately that's what it comes down to old school Google, what they would have done to be totally honest, old school Google would have open sourced the server mm, and let somebody yeah. else take it over. Yeah, and I honestly fair. think that would, and I and I think that that would that would have been the right thing to do in this case. If you don't want to maintain it anymore, if you don't want to update the firmware so that it can work locally because that's not worth your effort, I get that. I totally get it, especially if you're talking about a very small number of people. And I have to imagine at this point, it might, maybe is is hundreds, maybe a few thousand. You know, it's a mm-hmm. very small group of people. But but you're does, not offering them something it, better to upgrade. But to. you're not something. That, well, and I think to me that's the bigger problem because this week too. You know, um, Amazon announced their Alexa skill set um, API stuff. And so basically they've now – it's now out of beta where developers can build their own tools for, for, for their devices to talk to Alexa with their Amazon Echo. So you can say things like you can take your products and you can build your own integrations in and you can talk. You can create scenes. You can be like, hey, Alexa, turn on the lights or, or set this to this and, and basically create, you know, macros around stuff using natural language. So Amazon – who came out of the space not really with anybody expecting them to do anything and it is now I mean why hasn't Google or Nest or or Apple been able to get into the smart home the way Amazon has with the Echo the Echo is done extremely well and and developer and, and now they've got this, this great developer API for it I look at Nest you know Nest integrates with a, a lot of other products but they don't really let anybody else but they don't have a hub and it's like at this point the longer they go without a hub the bigger of a problem I think they have as a company because you know, like at this point, Amazon's making a very good value proposition. If you were going to buy one smart device for your home, what I would say to anybody would be to get an Echo mm-hmm. because A, it'll work with a lot of other things. B, it's a really cool device and it's a good opportunity. Like once you get used to be able to, able to talk to something and, and it does what you ask it to do, it's really cool. Mm-hmm. And the fact that they are making their platform open and accessible, the fact that, again, you it works with Nest, it works with Hue Bulbs, it works with a lot of other stuff. It even works with Uber, for, for, for goodness yeah. sake, which is crazy. You can order an Uber from your from your Echo, which is awesome. That like, sounds the great, fact that, yeah. The, the fact that you can do all this stuff, and that's a platform that's only a year old, to me, I'm, I, I'm looking at Nest kind of big picture, and I'm going, what are you guys doing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think that's very fair. I think that's very fair. I don't know, though. It's hard for me to imagine, like, with the Nest products, the thing that makes it magical, and it's a very Apple thing, is when you're cranking the dial and moving yeah. it, it is, 
it is like a BMW switch. It feels so sublime. Like there's this weight it to it. Like my husband and I will just keep turning the, the heat up and down just to feel <laughs> it. It's the same thing with the Nest Cam. And I have to say that thing works brilliantly. I mean, it, it is. Does. It, it installing it it's like every single little click of the wheel just feels perfect it feels great and and i the, cannot the software um, setup is fantastic it's and it amazing. was with drop cam so like you amazing. know they can make good products but can i say like over over lte i can i you know i've been traveling and yep. i my dogs are in one part of the house and we have a cam in there and like it's awesome that i can see that on lte any of the time i want so totally i think that it's impossible for me to imagine amazon ever developing something that works that well and maybe I mean, i'm wrong but I mean, have you phone used the was echo, such though? a failure i've well, not their phone I've was not. a failure yeah. okay you should okay yeah. you should try the echo because i have to okay. say the phone you're you're dead on the phone was a was a colossal failure but the kindle was pretty strong i think the phone was such a colossal failure that we all kind of assumed they were dead in hardware myself included i was having this conversation with my tech editor pete paschal earlier this week where i was kind of maligning i said who would have thought amazon would have done this and he said well actually he kind of pushed back a little bit he was like you know they had the kindle and then the original kindle fire before tablets as a whole kind of fizzled were both really strong the phone was obviously a colossal failure and the dash buttons are actually really cool. But I have to say, Echo is, it was my favorite device of all of last year. Um, it's still one of my favorite devices. I don't like the Echo Tap as much because it doesn't have the, you have to press the button to use it, which ruins it. But the Echo Dot, which is like the, the smaller Echo that'll connect to a speaker you already have, um, either over Bluetooth or um, through um, AV, is really great. Um, I think that it's like, um, it the, the voice stuff isn't perfect, but it's, it's so much better and it's it's so much better than Siri it's so much better than Google now um Alexa is smart and funny it's it's remarkably good I mean it's the sort of thing where you can literally say Alexa you know play but is she hot um, though Christine I mean, I, that's I, the only question you know, that I think I, I, our, I our listeners to, want answered look look I choose to objectify her in a way that makes her very attractive <laughs> to me okay I choose to do that you can you can you can she can look however what she wants to you I like, objectify Christina? her like is, I mean, it, is it a good butt I mean, I have to say, it's not important. her best asset, but her voice is killer. Okay. I mean, look, she she looks like whatever you want okay. her to look like. I mean, she's great. Okay. But but honestly, the voice stuff is really good, and it's only getting better. And they've made so many updates to that product that when I reviewed it in January of last year, it was really good. And by the time the end of the year rolled around, I was like, it, it had, did so many other things, and they keep making the platform better and better. That like I think that the the delta for how good Nest is and Nest is great is there it's slipping away from them a little bit, especially since they don't have this hub because at this point people are building smarter things and are building wanting their devices to all connect together. I mean, I think it's really telling that Nest had to build to, had to you know build an API integration into the the Echo. Why? I mean that, that that's that's not great for them. Frankly, it's not great that the, the their competitor is able to say you can control your nest with your voice because frankly nest should be able to say you can control your nest with your voice hmm. yeah i have to you know it was um it's not just the nest too like i was um you know steptoe uh of xbla um enforcement he was he was at my book launch party last week he was like just raving about the phillips hue light bulbs which you know yeah. are integrated with the nest but also with the echo and I think it doesn't yes. speak well to them that they're having to go outside of all the systems. So I have a bunch of them to see how they work when I get back home. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, the the Echo bulbs are fantastic. I love them. But again, like it's so cool that I can say turn off the lights in my living room or turn on the lights in the office and they will. Like that's awesome. And you don't have to think about it. And then I can say, you know, play Taylor Swift and it, and and Taylor comes blaring out um unprompted. You know, it's great. It, it it's really good. 
I, I'm not going to count Nest out yet, Christina, but I think, I think no, you're I'm right either, that it's, but it's worth worrying. I'm not going to count them out, yeah. but, but yeah. I'm concerned. I've also been hearing, I, I, I got some intel this week that, that there are more kind of not great, I heard, I'm hearing some not great things about their QA for some of their products that I'm trying to kind of look into. I, I'm, I'm hearing things from people who are now starting to talk to me unprompted. That's always concerning. That's always mm-hmm. concerning when I start getting DMs from people being like, hey, do you want, I have info on X. Because it shows that there's a lot of unhappiness at the at, at, at the division right now, and that makes me sad because I think they make great products, how but I have to th- feel like. How much do you on. think the Google umbrella protects the company, as it were? Well, here's the problem: it doesn't at that much anymore because they are their own division under Alphabet, which means that when they were part of Google, it was a little bit different. They had a, a really big budget, and what a lot of people are reporting, like what the information reported and other reports have said too, and Greg Duffy, who who was the drop count founder, who did not get along with Tony Fidel and, and, and left the, the Nest group and then went to Google and then he left Google. He wrote a very blistering medium report yes, basically did. implying that almost – he basically – I mean, look, and he's obviously coming at this from a very biased standpoint and he is, is a you know very non-neutral point of view as they would say in Wikipedia terms. But um, you know he's kind of – he was more than implying, basically outright saying that almost all of the revenue they make is from drop cam sales. Whether that's true or not, I don't know. Um, but but he's basically all but saying that what Dropcam was was bringing in revenue wise before they were acquired is is making the bulk of of what Nest is making now. Um, he also uh, you know kind of blasted a lot of other things with the company, but you know they have this this budget that they get every year of a certain amount. But now that they're under Alphabet, that could change. And I think that that you know he's now having to report to a different sort of boss. It's it's not like he's mm-hmm. under a Google umbrella where he can kind of be protected. They now have all these sub companies, and now they might have different you know P and L stuff. And so things might be very different. And and that kind of seemed to be one of the one of the things that one of the Reddit the Reddit comments said too is that there's kind of a lot of you know I guess fear within there that if you don't meet these ridiculous deadlines, then there's not going to be you know, basically, the, the the free the free reign is kind of over, and they've kind of got to put up or shut up, and and that's got to be. I mean, I certainly don't think that it would be anything drastic, like they would get rid of Nest. Like that's certainly not going to happen. Mm-hmm. But I do feel like Tony Fidel is definitely under fire, and I feel like a lot of their product decisions are under fire. And it's one of those things where I'm sure Larry Page does not want to have to step in and get involved. Yeah, but if they're not going to be making money, and if they're and, and unfortunately, it's going to be hard for them to pull in the revenue projections that they might have when they don't release new products. You you know, I mean, that's really hard, so, you know, so I don't know. I, I, I feel like what did insulate them before probably do, is not going to insulate them as much anymore now that they are this, this separate division within um, Alphabet, which will be looked at much more differently than they were mm-hmm. when they were just like a subsidiary of Google. Well, it sucks for everyone at that company that they're under so much scrutiny. But as far as Larry Fidel being under fire, I'm like, OK, that's. Good because I mean they've they've had so long to make these products and I know it is very difficult if the company culture is just not right it's not promoting creativity or whatever the heck is going on there but if you're not making products wh- why why somebody needs to answer for that yeah and I mean I'm, uh, yeah and I mean obviously I, it's, it's, it's a process tough. like I'm sure they're iterating and improving on things but other companies Apple doesn't have that problem. Amazon. Well, yeah, I was, so I was talking have. to I was talking to the New York Times today, asking about the Reddit situation. You know, they just yeah. now 
today introduced the ability to block people uh, people. yeah exactly which is which is amazing (laughs) and you know like um with with all respect to people i know that have worked there um you know i do know a lot of engineers in my field and i i hear the same kind of problems there that there's this kind of paralysis and getting new features out. You know, when I've been a Redditor, you know, you rely on like third-party plugins to just yep. do basic stuff on that site. So any company that's kind of, you know, paralyzed and not able to ship things, it doesn't speak well for them. And that's why I need to ship my game really soon. <laughs> <laughs> Which is why we're going to move on to topic number three yes, so you can get are. back to work. So Awkward segue. Yes. If you've been in the uh, games oh, world God. for a little while, you may have seen oh. some scandal over Blizzard's oh. new game, Overwatch. Um, character, the characters, there are many characters, have victory poses for the end of a match. There's a character called Tracer, who is a lovely young woman, spunky, bright, talented. Uh, her, she's very lovely. She's really great. Uh, her victory pose was a cocky little like hip jut from behind with the butt. Full display, full display butt. Um, they changed it after user feedback, uh, to a different pose, which was just revealed today, I believe. Um, different pose, great pose. I actually do love the pose. She's kind of doing this, like, like mid pirouette, like, one arm up in the air thing. It's really cute. Um, but the butt, the butt's still there. And Brianna Wu, investigative reporter, (laughs) went in depth on the butt. And why why it looks off, why it looks porny. Wasn't that the term? Was that... Well, Christy, I know you can appreciate this. Have you ever used the word "porny" at church accidentally? Because I never have. I have. I, I, have, okay, I have to be honest yeah. with you. I never have. How does that happen? Yeah. Only you. Uh, it just. I've happened. never it talked about happened. porn at church. Yeah. I have to be dead honest with you. I I just let the adjective "porny" slip one time, and yeah, <laughs> was, it was it about really Mary Magdalene? It was not. It was not. I don't. <laughs> I think it was about somebody's dress. I think so. Yeah. Because <laughs> I mean, cause, I, not, I, mean I, I, I have probably talked about whores in the context of Mary Magdalene before, but yeah. I think that's about it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yes. Yeah, so I did. I used my technical expertise. Hey, can we just say going into this topic, like I love butts. I I you are like Sir Mixwell. You you love them and you cannot lie. I I I do. Like if you look at uh, the butts in our game, that is a lovingly sculpted butt. I was very hands on in the creation of that butt. So glad I I I did. I gave appreciate some junk in the truck. I I like it. I like it. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's true. Like so, what I did is I um, went to Steam Workshop and I downloaded. The tracer model, because like if you look at the old pose and the new pose, and I also like the new pose better. The problem is like if they're trying to desexualize it, it didn't accomplish that mission <laughs> no, because your eye still goes straight to her butt. It kind of made it butt. worse in some ways. I mean, I love yeah. the pose, but it kind of made it worse in a little bit. A little bit. You're right. like, mm, because it's I a triangle, this. right? It's a triangle yes. composition, so your eyes just go right there. So I I did. I went for in depth reporting on the butt. I looked at the poly count. I looked at the vert normals. I looked at the weight painting for the areas around the butt. I looked at the materials around the butt. I investigated the ambient occlusion. <laughs> and what I found. No one I is more professional my, about butt analysis than you. Go on. What did you find? True. It's very true. So what I found is that they um, created a disturbingly deep butt crack <laughs> for Tracer. <laughs> 
Like it's very, very deep to the point where no matter what your engine rendering settings are, you're just going to have a lot of shadow there because it goes so freakishly deep. Like it's a very big choice because at first, so something you do in texture mapping is, um, you know, like if you're, if you're putting on makeup and you want to like emphasize your eyes, you like do your eyeshadow and the lines around it in different ways to emphasize it. And you can do that same thing with texture mapping. So if you wanted to draw attention to her butt, you know, you would like shade it there to give the illusion of depth. Uh, there is no shading there. They didn't do any special effects with that. It's just a very deep butt crack. So. Oh my God. That is. And so my Twitter has just been so- garbage all day. About I, this. I, I'm sure that it has. Well, obviously, you're attacking this poor girl for being born with an unnaturally deep butt crack. Like, that's... I, well, I, I mean, wasn't you are. even I mean, critiquing you know, I mean, it. How I was dare, saying, how, like... How, how dare you? <laughs> I, was, I was saying, it's, like, I'm hearing loud opinions from people about this all day long. And I'm like, you know what? I want just some facts. I just want yeah. to know what's going on here. Because, like, it, this is why it's so frustrating. Like, people set up a straw man where, like... I'm supposed to be outraged about her butt, and I'm not. I don't really care. <laughs> you're just there, like, like, what's the technology underlying this butt? You're like, you're like, right, you're like. I'm yeah. not saying anybody has to be outraged. I'm just saying her crack is too deep. What makes yes, the butt this way? What is right. the cause? Identify the root cause of the latent that's what butt. I did today. Now, yes, now, now, yes. now, could you apply this? The same mm-hmm. um, technology. Could you apply this to Kim Kardashian's? But we could, we could, could, could we, could, can could, you check could we do that and figure out? out? Check could. the poly count and figure out. Like we, we could look at the ass that broke the internet and see, yes, exactly, exactly what, 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 what are the features that make it so unique? We should definitely do that. And you know, like this model has a reasonably high, uh, you know, count for the topology. So I agree with you, Christina. We're going to get three D scanning technology. I hope that three D artists are currently capturing Kim Kardashian's butt. Oh, for you know posterity. that they are. Yeah. Oh, you know that they that. are. We need that we, data we, we, for we need future well, generations. And frankly, she needs it too because yeah. we we need to make sure that whenever the, the inevitable Madame Tussauds version of her is created, <laughs> that it is accurate in every way. It's yes, perfect. It's very important. Nothing less for oh Kim God. K. I can't believe I'm having this conversation. Uh, I think I we're going to be devoting probably the next full episode of Rocket to in-depth analysis of three a butt. butts. A butt. Two, two serious important. long butts and then one shorter, fluffier butt, as it were. You know, the <laughs> dessert butt. Can I say one thing about this before we go on? Like, this is so routine. Full three-course what meal the, what happens? I'm sorry. But, <laughs> go yes. on. No, no, no. That's That should be the Let's title. Three-course meal. <laughs> no, um, what I was going to say is like, you know, people are trying to set this up as like, oh, people are complaining and they force developers to give feedback, blah, 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 blah. You know, when you develop a game, you get so familiar with every single part of it, you don't, you fundamentally lose the ability to tell what is good and bad. Like, it's sure. just, it, it happens. So, this is why you have playtesting. When course. you are making a game all the time, you send stuff out and you say, I don't really know anymore. Let's see what the playtesters say. You do it with poses, you do it with animations, you make it with sets, you do it with lines, you do it with uh, you know, health variables, you do it for every single portion of the game. This is why playtesting is such a critical 
like feature. Like this is this makes or breaks game development. So it's just so disturbing to me with this whole thing just blowing up to see the, how the, the, little people understand about actual playtesting. Well, well, so well especially what, especially when it's Blizzard who is known for this. You know, right. literally they do this for everything they put yes. out because it takes them it takes them forever to put out a game. So before it comes out, they do extensive testing more yes. than almost anybody else, and, and they do it very publicly. It's like, what? Are, are, are you new? Right? <laughs> like, I, I'm not. No. I'm not. I'm not really like. I wouldn't call myself yeah. like a PC gamer or whatever. And I'm aware of this. So for me, as if someone who's like not like entrenched in this world to get it, it's to me, it's just people who then just want to be outraged that people are outraged. Yeah, mm-hmm. I agree with that. I agree awesome. with that. So any any yeah. product that goes out onto the market and games while being art are also a product, gets feedback from the people that are going to use it. That's what editors do in the book market. They're editing so that it is readable for the reader. And it, it's just, it's it's ridiculous to me that people get up in arms about that kind of feedback. before you publish it, you send out a galley, and part of the thing the galley comes out is A, to get a response, although you often don't change the manuscript significantly from that, and then, but B, to catch typos mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. And, and see other problems. So, like, again, I mean, it's it's not so much they're like, oh, people are forcing developers to change their games. It's like, no, they actually want to know, like, how people respond to stuff, because as you said, right. Bri, they can't see it. They, they right. can't see, they, they can't see the forest from the trees anymore, literally. Mm-hmm. And unlike something like movies, you know, or or, or or even music where you usually release a finished product. Although, again, those things have – there are test screenings. Test screenings have fundamentally changed how movies end. Uh, Fatal Attraction is a great example. Um, originally in that movie, um, Glenn Close's character did not die. And when they added the ending where she – died the audience stood up and cheered when she died at the end and they were like and they were like okay now we have we have the ending but before that like the audience reaction wasn't good this is there have been numerous cases where like you know like uh, audience testings have have changed how films have gone um but even though typically you know it might not fundamentally change parts of it. I mean, games, because they're like living, breathing, they can be updated. There's online components. There are, are add-on packs. Like, they are more living organisms. It's right. like, of course right. you're going to get feedback. If you don't, like, you're living in a weird bubble and, and, and it, yeah. So, Why? I mean, this is the other thing I want to say about this. I get really frustrated when people try to characterize me on Twitter as like being some sex negative Puritan. Yeah. When, like, you can look at the stuff I put out. Now, I want to tell you, this is just being straight up honest. I, it is true that there are some academics that do not work in the industry that do have a goal to desexualize more games. That is accurate. Yes. But I can say for me personally, as someone that works in this field and makes games and know a lot of other people that make games, I personally cannot think of a single woman that I know that I would characterize as anti-sex that like deliberately wants to like purge sexuality from games. We don't exist, or at least we aren't vocal about it. So like this idea that like, you know, they're women game developers just trying to like, you know, like desexualize games. And it's like, I mean, right. you're not trying to desexualize anything. If anything, I would argue maybe, I, maybe I'm misrepresenting you here. Sure. It's that it didn't look great. It's like her ass could have looked better. Like yeah. they could have made it sexier <laughs> without having it look porny. Porny yeah. does not equal yeah. sexy. Let's be very clear. Now, not yeah. to say, and I'm not against porn. I'm not against people who like porn, but that's sure. a very certain aesthetic and a very certain look, which yeah. is not always the most attractive way to do it. Frankly, I, that's mm-hmm. that's dead on, Christy. If you look at the butt geometry in Rev 60, it's the same kind of exaggerated butt, right? 
But the thing is, we don't have really harsh shadows there because that shadow is what makes it kind of go from, you know, cute and like something you aspire to have, right? Like to to kind of being gross, you know, Mm. or just distracting, I think would be the word I would say. Yeah. So, yeah, that's my main critique of it. I don't want to change any of the underlying geometry. So It's just that just want it to look better. We know how you feel Um, about lighting and shadows. That's true. That's true. Very true. What are you up to this week, Brianna, besides stomping on butts? I I am getting over my jet lag this week. Yeah, I had had eight days at, at South by Southwest. I was at home for five. Then I was on, I've been in five cities in seven days now. And I'm finally going to get home to spend some time with my husband, which I'm desperately looking And what are we going to say if somebody invites you to a conference or a thing? That's no. Thing. No thing. Yay. No. No Yay. That's it. That's Great it. answer. Christina, right. what are you up to this week? Well, I'm um, still dealing with my grief that the People versus O.J. Simpson has ended. <gasps> oh, have you seen the ending yet? Yes. Oh. So good. So amazing. The whole series was fantastic. Some of the best television I've, yeah. I've seen in yes. just some of the best television I've seen. Um, oh. it, it's going to win all of the Emmys. It's going to win all of the awards as it should, because it's fantastic. Anyway, I'm mourning that. Um, the FX, if you have not seen the people versus OJ Simpson and why have you not? It is so good. We'll be airing a marathon on Saturday, starting at 2 PM. Simone de Rochefort, you now have a way of watching FX. You better be tuning in either on on demand or live because it is so good and so worth your time. Um, I want you to know uh, that until I like look this up, I definitely thought it was a court show a la Judge Judy where OJ Simpson is a judge. But you didn't. No, you didn't. Now I know better. No, you didn't. Stop. Christina, can you legitimately did Simone's house and like like discipline her for this? Yeah, I mean, I might might actually just invite you over to my house on Saturday and force you to watch this with me. I didn't Um, say I I I wasn't going to watch it. I just said there were some misconceptions somewhere along the way. So, so for people who are confused, the People versus OJ Simpson is not a court show where OJ Simpson, who is in jail, Simone. <laughs> is a judge. It is not, uh, you know, um, uh, what, what, what was the show from Arrested Development? Um, oh God! Uh, oh. Court time. It was Jay Reinhold. Um, judge Ryan. Uh, it was it was <sighs> Jay Reinhold's courtroom court, court courtroom or whatever. Judge yeah. Reinhold is like, but but anyway, um, mock trial with Jay Reinhold. Yes. It is not mock trial with Jay Reinhold. It is. Um, a dramatization of uh, one of the most captivating trials of our lifetimes, which was the OJ trial, uh, which took place between 1994 and 1995 in Los Angeles. It's amazing. The cast is incredible. Sarah Paulson is Marsha Clark. Um, uh, uh, she's fantastic. Courtney B. Vance is Johnny Cochran. Uh, an actor who I'm not familiar with, uh, Sterling K. Brown, is Chris Darden. Um, I have to say, he love not him. only does he look oh, identical, like it, it's unreal how much he looks like the real Chris Darden, and then his acting's fantastic. Uh, John Travolta is uh, is Robert Shapiro. It's a very campy performance, but it's good. The one weak link I would actually say is actually Cuba Gooding Jr., who plays OJ. But but yeah. you know what? It doesn't matter because as in the real case, OJ doesn't matter. It's not about OJ. It's about things that are b- bigger beyond OJ. So OJ kind of fades into the background. Well, and in, in kind of the race climate of what was happening in Los Angeles post Rodney King at that time, the kind of the the coming um uh, the 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 onslaught of what was about what was the precipice of twenty four hour news cycle. This was the, one of the first um, trials that was broadcast. I mean, court TV had existed for a few years, but this was not just um, televised on court TV, but literally. Um, 
soap operas during the summers in like interrupted like soap soaps almost went off the air because network TVs were getting better ratings for playing OJ. And that's that's how I got into the trial as, as a young kid is that I was watching it and my soaps got interrupted with the pretrial stuff. And I was like, well, this show is amazing. I would watch recaps on on court TV when I would get home at night. Um, Geraldo Rivera, um, who was then a commentator on CNBC, in addition to having his, his talk show. He used to have people on. That's how Greta Van Susteren became Greta Van Susteren was that she was a legal analyst on on Rivera Live. Like there's so many people today who literally their careers were built on the back of, of, of the OJ trial. Um, Barry Sheck, who created the Innocence Project, was one of their DNA experts on on, on Team OJ. Um, Robert Kardashian, Kim Kardashian's late father, was OJ's friend and was also on his defense team. The entire reason that we know who the Kardashians are and the only reason we care is because he was OJ's friend and lawyer. Like it's – it's and it's so interesting to look back twenty plus years and mm-hmm. see the impact the case has had, and then the show does such a good job of dramatizing what happened and frankly not embellishing it. It's based on a book by Jeffrey Tubin called the right of, um, called um, the um, the right of his life, and which is also a worthy read. Jeffrey Tubin um, is a New York New Yorker writer and he's a, um, a legal contributor to, to CNN. Um, his book is really really good. It's based on that, but it's it's amazing because. Um, especially the final episode, which aired this week, so much of it was reenacted directly from, like, if you were to look at the actual, like, press conferences that happened and then look at the actual announcement of the verdict and things like that, they didn't embellish or change things. Obviously, they've created dramatic scenes and, and maybe invented some stuff, but a lot of it is very much just exactly as it happened and, and played in that way. And it's so fascinating to watch. And, and and I've talked to a lot of people who said, oh, I didn't want to watch it because I already lived it through it the first time. And I would say even no, to those people, no, that's no not watch right. it because you get yeah. a different perspective. And, and yeah. me being 12 when, when all this went down, 11 and 12, I, you know, I was obsessed. I was obsessed with the OJ trial, but I, there are so many parts of it I forgot or didn't remember. And seeing it all come together in this way, seeing what was happening behind the scenes, it's just, it's fantastic television. So... Um, when you're asking I think what when makes I'm- it so good is the screenwriting because you're taking yes. all these events and like you, uh, Christine, I was very young when this came on, but I was also in Mississippi. So I was seeing it through like the, the, right. the lens of a family that frankly was rooting for Mark Furman and I didn't understand the racial issues. What was amazing to me is to, you know, I remember Marsha Clark as a woman with weird hair that got a lot yeah. of comments about that, that yep. my mom and dad hated. And uh, there's an episode of this Marsha, Marsha, Marsha that yeah. I've watched five times because it so speaks good. so much to the double standards. The complete double standards today. she faced. The oh, reason totally. it's so good is the screenwriting because they took yeah. these events and they turn it into an hour of television that is just breathtaking. It is like you can't turn away. It is so good. And it's it really is. It's the best thing on on. TV this year by far, uh, without a doubt. I mean, I, I, The Americans is my favorite show, but I feel like this was definitely the best thing I've seen on TV, I, and I can't imagine that anything will come out between now and, and, and the end of the year that will be any better than this. And and frankly, Ryan Murphy, who I sometimes love, sometimes hate, I generally enjoy his things at the beginning, and then he tends to I tend to like his projects less as they go along. When I heard about this, that he was doing this, because he does American Horror Story, when I heard he was doing this, I was cautiously optimistic. I had my – especially after I heard Sarah Paulson was cast, I thought, okay, this could be good. But I was a little bit worried. You know, I was like, is he going to Ryan Murphy this, which means take it into to weird, campy directions. <laughs> and and there's some of that, but in the ways where it deserves to be. And the rest of it, I think that the reason – 
I think it was I was talking about this with my 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 friend and colleague Sergio uh, Hernandez. I think the reason why this works so well is that Ryan Murphy couldn't Ryan Murphy this up because he had to stick to the real facts. Mm-hmm. So he was he was forced into in, in, in he was frankly given constraints, which I think he often needs. So he having the constraints of reality let him write and produce and, and, and create characters and situations, which is what he does really well. But he wasn't given the opportunity to go outside the bounds and how crazy things happen. And the truth is that this is a real case where crazy things happen that you would think otherwise would have been nuts. Like, for instance, you know, the, the Mark Furman stuff altogether, that that existing is nuts. But even the fact that, like, the, the Love and Hour appeal where it turns out that Judge Ito's wife was mentioned by name in the Furman tapes. I mean, there, there were so many twists and, and plot holes here where if you read it, you would have thought this is fantastical. I mean, the fact that one of the jurors, and this really happened, was because they were sequestered for eight months, was so like overwhelmed by the whole experience. She like made tried to make a run for it in the hotel and then got <laughs> ended up getting excused from jury duty. But this was like six months in. Like they, you know, the the sorts of things that happened, you know, uh, suspend belief in, in some cases, but they really happen. And I think that being forced to deal with the facts um, made a. Uh, made the best of Ryan Murphy stuff come out. But anyway, um, so so you asked what I'm doing this weekend. I'm rewatching The People versus O.J. Simpson, as should all of you. And I apparently will be watching, for the first time, The People versus O.J. Simpson and understanding what happened when I was four and five years old. Yeah. Because I was very, I was tangentially aware of the memes, I guess, that spawned from that, but um, do not, I don't know anything about um, the And that's okay, and you'll, you'll, you'll learn. I mean, I'm excited. Yeah, no. Yeah, it, it's good. It's really good. Cool beans. Uh, Brianna, where can we find you online? <laughs> you can get expert butt analysis. Like, in the future, I will be the Greta Van Susteren on cable news with my butt Ooh, analysis. You should get a Squarespace for that. I should. You should. should. Buttanalysis.com. That's, that's I'm buying it right now. Dot church. Uh, on the Twitter account, known as Space Cat Gal. Christina? You can find me at film underscore girl. Cool. You can find and me. You can find my writing at Mashable, and you can find me on Twitter at Doom Quasar and my writing on Polygon.com. Thanks for listening to this episode of Rocket on Relay FM. If you liked it, which I hope you did, uh, please do leave us a review on iTunes, even a star rating on iTunes, if you so wish. We love both of those things equally, uh, and it totally helps us out um, to get more people to listen to the show, and then you'll have people to talk to about the show, because I know that's what you are all thirsting for. Uh, Thanks for listening. This episode is Terminated. 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 Terminated.